0: This morning we continue in a series we started last week called those rough red letters, the uh, things I wish Jesus never said. You know, those things that I would be just as happy to live my life if he hadn't told me I have to do those things. You know, those things that make you go, oh, really, Jesus? Do I I have to do do that? Uh, And the one we come to today is the quote that uh, sometimes I feel like we want to ignore the most. (laughs) It is, it's a tough situation. Matthew, in the fifth chapter, Jesus has been, been doing some ministry, and then he comes uh, to the mountain. And we get to the Sermon on the Mountain, he gives the Beatitudes, of course. And the Beatitudes basically turn the world's values upside down. I mean, the Beatitudes take everything the world thinks is great and says that they aren't great. Actually, the opposite is great. You know, the poor are blessed. Those who mourn are blessed. The gentle are blessed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. The merciful are blessed. Very. Um, if you're a junior high student, maybe if you're an American, I don't. know. It seems like an unmanly thing, right? It's you, you don't you don't you don't talk back and you you're, you're humble and you're poor and you don't go after. That's what it seems like, and it's very easy to to see that in this. Um, you know, if you're in junior high, you're, you're, you're all about revenge, you know. <laughs> she said that, so I'm going to get her back. He did this, and I'm going to get him back. And that's kind of the opposite of what the Beatitudes have us do. And, and, but in the, in the end, Jesus says something here that honestly could be one of the most macho things ever said in the world. And it's the one that we don't like. It's the one that we don't talk about much. It's the one that makes us really uncomfortable. We had no problem with the poor being blessed. You know, in theory at least, hey, the poor, they can be blessed, yes. Those who mourn, of course they need to be comforted. Those who were gentle, they're blessed, sure. We have no problem with that. Jesus gets to this last, starting in verse 10. And it says, Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would be with us this morning. Father, use me as a vessel of the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, bless this time together. Be glorified it. And we ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake and all God's people sake. I don't like that first phrase. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I, that, those are hard blessings to come, right? I mean, when when Jesus is saying all these other things, I imagine the people on the hillside are going, okay, yeah, blessed are the poor, okay, I'm poor, that's good, Now, yeah. I, I like the fact that the poor are blessed because I'm poor, there's a lot of them on the hill like that, right, I'm poor, I'm good, okay, blessed are those who mourn, we've all lost something, all lost someone, yes, yes, blessed, I I want to be blessed when I'm born, I, I want comfort when I'm, when I'm born, that's great. Uh, I can be gentle. I'll be gentle. If that'll get me blessed, that sounds great. And you can go through all of them, but then I have a feeling they get to this last one they're kind of like me because they sit here and they go, huh, really? Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. I I don't know. And as I read this and as we hear what Jesus is saying, there are things that we can learn here that that aren't comfortable. the first is, we shouldn't be shocked when our beliefs are challenged or even outlawed. We shouldn't be shocked. We seem to be shocked, right? We, you know, if you go on any social media network, you see all the shock right now of what's going on. You see all these things happening. And the truth of the matter is, we shouldn't be shocked. There is nothing shocking about the things that we believe being challenged or even outlawed. We're spoiled. We're spoiled. And I know that that, that catches me a lot on flat sometimes, but for 200 years, a little more, we've lived in what we have called a Christian nation. And we get to do what we want to do. And almost everybody has believed like we believe. We may believe in different shades, you know. Some of us are chocolate Baptists and some of us are vanilla Methodists, but... (laughs) You know, we, we believe differently on little bits here and there. But for the most part, we have agreed, right? And, and so it hasn't been hard on our beliefs. But then we begin seeing this move to the secular. We begin seeing this move that begins to, to, to change and challenge everything that we hold dear. And we, we live in a society now where when we call certain things, certain lifestyles and certain choices sin, we're called judgmental. We're we're called unloving. We're called we're, we're called to, to get on board and, and and come to the new century. That that we need to quit living in the past. Those are the things that are said to us. And so we've become spoiled. But persecution honestly is coming. This is not going to be a very authentic sermon today, I'm afraid. Persecution's coming. There, there's no way around it. Because this world does not want Jesus. This world does not want the holiness that Jesus calls us to. And it's here in many places. You see even now people who are having to go to court for for, for, for simple things. Or people who cannot take part in jobs anymore because of what they believe. You know, a county clerk who loses their job because I cannot give a marriage license out to someone I do not believe should be married. Persecution's coming. And what we have here, honestly, is very light. We're insulated from the real persecution. If you follow any any groups where people are actively engaging people groups... In places where Christianity is illegal, you find persecution. You see what real persecution looks like. Um, David Platt wrote a book. David Platt used to be our president of our International Mission Board. He wrote a book, um, Follow Me. And in it, his introduction, his first chapter, he describes this teaching that he did over in Asia. And he said, he remembers, the car dropped him off very very almost secretively at this store and he was told to go into the door and he walked in it was a dimly room and he was the only one by himself there. And he really didn't know what was going on. He said, but then slowly, the room began to fill up and people began to come in. And he was there early in the morning, like at 7 in the morning, and they came in and he began to teach them the things he was there to teach them. And they were there from 7 in the morning until sunset. They stayed all, all, all day long absorbing the things that he was saying, absorbing what the word was giving them, knowing what was happening. And, and he'd come to find out they were going to come back the next day. They begged him, please, now teach us about the Old Testament. And he was not supposed to be there any longer, but he, he said he would stay. And he found out these people were walking from the as stars as ten miles away to be there that day You know. To meet in a secretive room. Why? Because if it was found out that they were trying to bring people to Jesus, they could lose their life. They could lose the things that that were dear to them. It's amazing when you begin to read the things that go on in Scripture, if you read the history that goes along with it and you see what persecution is. The persecution, Jesus says here, is expected in the life of a believer. That's a very uncomfortable thing that Jesus says. He doesn't say, well, if you are persecuted. He says you are blessed when they insult persecution. This isn't something that, well, if it actually happens to happen to you, this is expected to happen. Expect that at some point someone's going to stand against you. Because honestly, following Jesus isn't going to be easy. I think we've done a great injustice in our world especially in the last 30 years, because we've watered down discipleship. The bill of goods that that I feel like I got when I came to Jesus isn't what I got. You ever bought something and had buyer's remorse? You know what I mean? You buy the car and you get it home and it doesn't fit like you want it to. I absolutely hate our Dodge Journey. I will admit that. (laughs) Carrie thought it was the greatest car in the world. She wanted it because it had a new car smell. I should have known better. But we got it and got it home, and I don't like the way it drives, I don't like the way I fit in. I don't like any of those things. And when Jesus was told to me, it was simple, right? That's how we've always it's simple to know Jesus, right? We, we say you walk the aisle, you say a prayer, you accept him into your heart, and you're going to heaven. And it is simple. But there's more. There, there's more expected. Jesus doesn't want us just to have the ticket to get in. He wants us to have the backstage pass. He wants us to have more than that. He wants us to live a life here that is set apart and that is called out. Jesus teaches that at the beginning of his ministry. He said it's not going to be easy. The guys come to him and say, I- I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It. It's not supposed to be easy. We tell people to say a prayer and love Jesus, and one theologian called that the great emasculation of Christianity. He said we've sissified Christianity. We boil it down to love. It's all about loving and loving and loving, and there's that's in there. That is Christianity. But we talk about it with those words we talked about last week that love in the Bible isn't the same as love that we think about in our culture. This isn't the butterflies, it isn't the emotion, it's that idea, the action that we live out, putting other people's needs in front of our own. And so when we've taken all of what Christianity's supposed to be, and we've said just love, all of a sudden there's no challenge. All of a sudden we feel like, eh, I just got to say I love Jesus and I'm okay. But it doesn't work that way. Does it work that way in your marriage, guys? I'm just asking. I mean, if I just say I love, I, I love my wife, but I never spend any time with her, and I never bring her any gifts, and we never go anywhere together, is that love? That's a roommate. I've had roommates. I've kicked them out before because I couldn't stand them.
1: God calls
0: me to love. He told me to do something different. And so when we're, we're looking at this, we have to understand that following Jesus can be the greatest challenge of our lives if we actually follow Him into what He wants us to follow Him to. What we have called following Jesus today sometimes... <laughs> How do I say this without being rude? Um, it just doesn't cut it, right? I follow Jesus. But, but I don't do the things He calls me to do. I follow Jesus, but I never go to the places where believers are. I, I follow Jesus, but I fill my life with all this junk that doesn't really matter. I follow Jesus, but and I see it everywhere. But following Jesus is going is to cause you some, some discomfort. It could be the greatest challenge you ever face. Because if you follow Jesus and truly follow Jesus... Something's going to happen and people are going to stand against you. What's happened so often is man, there's too many sermons here in my head. Um pair of all the soils, remember? The people who in the when, when the seed fell in, they jump up with joy, and the minute someone stands against them and something out of life comes, they wither away. I remember the first time somebody came to me and, and, and looked at me and, and told me that my God was a fake. They were Buddhist. Buddhists are some of the hardest people in the world to win to Jesus. Why? Because of that love work. Because Buddhists do not believe we should have any emotion. For them to reach nirvana is to get rid of all of those human-based things. And so for me to talk to them about a God who loves them is foreign to them. And it is very hard because I was in high school. I was freshly saved. So back then, I had... I had the confidence to say whatever I needed to say that didn't matter. And so I argued wrong thing to do. That has nothing to do with what the beatitude. said. So there was no humility in what I did that day. But when the real persecution comes, where do we find ourselves? Because our attitude in persecution should be that of joy. When you're persecuted, be joyful. I mean happy. I don't have to be happy. Because most likely you're not going to be happy in persecution. But you can have a calm assurance that this is it. There are some great works of literature out there that are devoted to the martyrs throughout history. And the stories of Christians in the Roman Empire who were, who may have been in this crowd when Jesus taught. Them. They would round them up and put them in the middle of the Colosseum for the lions or the elephants or whatever else to, to kill them. And they would join hands or join arms and they would sing praises to God in the middle of the Colosseum calm assurance that this wasn't it. But then the emperor he didn't like the fact that they sang. It made him mad. So he cut out the tongues so they couldn't sing. Then they held hands and they hummed praises to God. A calm assurance that this isn't it. So how can we be joyous in persecution? But when we're persecuted, we are identified <laughs> as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Man, and he says, "Others will know, but you—you you are blessed. You are blessed because you are a kingdom citizen. Your reward is great. Your eternal reward is waiting at the end." And now, I know you may be going, "Uh." Oh. around the world in 30 seconds. Why in the world do I want to wait for that reward? Well, the reward there is going to be greater than what you can hear. The reward there is something we can look forward to. Because a persecution serves a purpose. It is a testing of our faith. This is over in James. Testing our faith does what? It brings endurance. Endurance brings maturity so that you're lacking in nothing. And it speaks. It's asking for wisdom here. Because we go through persecution, we learn. We learn something. And we learn to trust in God. We learn to step out of faith. We learn to do what God is calling us to do. When you're persecuted, you begin to see growth and miracles. The Western church seems to be in decline now. Some, some, some things that I've read, some studies that I've read, they say that the church in America is all the way to be where the church in Europe is. That terrifies me because the church in Europe is dead. The church in Europe—it's just a bunch of buildings. because they they, they sold out. They, they decided that well, now that I am not have to pay a church tax, I'm not going to give anything anymore because the government told me I don't have to. And their faith became nominal. Nominal means in name only. I'm a Christian because I'm almost. I'm a Christian because Grandma was a Christian. You know, it... It didn't used to be that hard to figure out who was a believer Because they went through persecution. They went through hard times. They, they had to do these things. We, we don't like hearing that Jesus says be joyful when you're persecuted. But... Persecution brings you to a deeper understanding and a greater trust in Jesus, because that's the only way you're going to get through. But you know, the only persecution that's blessed is a product of following Jesus in a righteous life. If we're persecuted because we make stupid choices, that's not blessed. If we purposely pick a fight in the name of Jesus, you're not. It's not a blessed persecution. Did you know, there are certain times we should just shut up. This morning's Bible verse, was there in James, right? Be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger. We're supposed to open our ears first and hear what somebody else will say rather than open our mouths first. If we make those stupid choices and do those stupid things, that's not a blessing. But if we're persecuted for Jesus... We're blessed because we're counted on the rolls of heaven. There's a reason why those 1900 years of Christians didn't have to wonder if they believed. Persecution made it clear. Because if you were being persecuted and you still went to the death, they knew you were a believer. One of my favorite shows that kids watch them on those Sunday mornings is Lamplighters. Is it Lamplighters? It's on Minnow. Minnow's a, a channel that we've. Subscribe to on the Roku and it has all this Christian programming for kids and Lamp Gliders tells you all the stories of of the people of faith coming over the last 1900 years and you see these people who who in the midst of great persecution stood firm and there was one and I cannot remember the name right now just now I had it and it went on a train somewhere but he was over in Europe and it was during World War II And they came in, and they arrested him, and they put him in prison. And he was there for years while his his child became an adult. And they would torment him with stories about how his child had chosen to join the Nazi party. And he knew that his wife had been taken to the prison camp, and she was having to do hard labor. And they would say, we can make all this go away for them. If you'll just renounce your faith in Jesus. We have a tendency to think that when Satan comes to test us, he's going to test us. You either die or you stand for Jesus. That's not how Satan works. That's not how the devil works. When the devil comes, he's not going to be straightforward. He's not going to come and say, Do you want to die or do you want to stand up for Jesus? He's going to come and say, Do you want them to die or do you want to stand up for Jesus? My mom, the last time she was in the hospital, uh, it's a traumatic time for me. My dad, when he had his wreck, had a subdural hematoma on the left side of his head, and he ended up in the nursing home because of the swelling in his brain. And my mom had gone over it with me. I was a power of attorney, and she had said over and over and over again, "I do not want to end up like him." My mom somehow slipped in her bathroom and had a subdural hematoma on the left side of the brain.
1: So when, I, when she calls me from the
0: ambulance, my mother so she calls me from the end and Well, they're telling me I have to go to the hospital. I've got a bleed on my brain. I got you know when I get there. What? Okay. So I drove to Harris Hospital to the same emergency room, to the same OR waiting room that I went through with my dad for the exact same thing. Our doctor does the surgery and then goes on vacation. And his partner comes in the next day. And he gives me a choice. He says, well, we really need to put your mom on a ventilator to keep her hyperventilating, to keep her swelling in her brain down so it doesn't cause brain damage. Oh, okay. Do it. Everybody in my family is mad. She didn't want to be put on the She didn't want that. When she came out, it took them three days after she was awake to be able to pull it out and it it in her throat. She was mad at me. When she finally got out, her first words were, I ate Dr. Pepper. And the second words were, whose fault is this? It's mine. But I told you, I said, no, Mama, you told me you didn't want to end up like that. The choice wasn't what you thought it was going to be. You thought the choice was going to be go on a ventilator or die. That wasn't the choice. The choice was go on a ventilator or end up like that. That was my choice. When the devil begins to work, when persecution comes, when we have to stand for God, we can't assume that the devil's going to say either renounce Jesus or you die. He's liable to say renounce Jesus or they die. Do Back to lampladders. <laughs> he struggled in prison to the point of almost death. But in prison, guess what he did? He taught. He brought people to Jesus. Finally, they had to get rid of him because he was teaching too many people and they let him go. And he comes out into a world fully expecting his wife to be dead, be dead from, the, from the prison camp and his son to be a high up in the Nazi regime. And he walks into the door of this house, and the person who meets him is his wife who has been released from the prison camp a few years ago. And she's helped. And he walks into the next room and there is a Bible study being taught by his son. He was faithful amidst the persecution and God rewarded him. Not only in heaven, but here. Our rewards don't end just in heaven. God rewards faithfulness here. He rewards us for doing what we're supposed to do here. And he says, it's going to be tough. But he also says we're not alone in our suffering. Man, we don't go through things alone. We're not by ourselves. The biggest lie we have told, the biggest lie we have let Satan tell in this world is that we're alone when we go through bad things.
1: And we have allowed him to put that in our head.
0: And you're going, well, no, it's true. Because guess what? When you fall off into something that you don't need to be into, You don't call the people around you and say, pray and help me. You sit there and say, I'll just take it to God because nobody can know. Why am I not stupid? That's not what the church is for. We're a family. My mama, she loved me and it didn't matter how many times I disappointed her or how many times I said what I shouldn't say or if we had the biggest fight. Guess what? She was still going to love me. That's what it's supposed to be like in the church. It doesn't matter where we've been, or what's been going on, or how far we've fallen. We love each other, and we don't look at each other and say, "Who cares?" My mama never once, when I did something that she knew I shouldn't do, she never once said, "Why did you do that? That was so bad." She said, "Come here, baby, I love you," and she would. I would. She would just put her arms around me, and I would melt into her because. unconditional grace from a woman who did not go to church and be with Jesus until the last five years of her life than I did to anybody else ever in church. Because she loved me. That is what the church is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be able to come in and say, man, I really blew it today. You know, one thing you can never accuse me of is trying to hide stuff. <laughs> I mean... You either like me works at all or you don't like me. Because I ain't perfect and I'm never going to be. And I don't expect you to be. We shouldn't expect each other to be perfect. Because we're called to walk together. And when Jesus said, He said, man, you're not alone. That's how they did the prophets. That's how they did the people before you. Even the crowds that Jesus was speaking to weren't the first that was going to go through this. All the prophets, except for one, had a a, a failed ministry. The whole ministry of a prophet was supposed to be to speak the truth to God's people so they would turn and do what God wanted them to do. It's stop and just say, but you know that Jesus loves you? It makes people so mad when you do that. But it's still the truth, and it diffuses the situation a little bit, except for the fact that they got mad because I said Jesus loves you. But, they, they went through persecution. The story of Peter. Do you know how Peter, the apostle died? He was crucified. Upside down. The The tradition says that Peter, once again, was Peter, and he was making his way out of town. And Jesus appeared to him and stopped and said, Peter, where are you going? And so Peter went back. And when they went to crucify him, he said, no, don't crucify me that way. I am not worthy to be crucified in the way that my Lord was crucified. And so they crucified him upside down. People ask me all the time, how do I know that the Bible is true? How do I know that, that Jesus is real? How do I know that he rose from the dead? I know because myths don't make martyrs. You may tell a lie to propagate a story, to, 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 to make people believe you, but you don't die for that lie if you know it's a lie. The disciples knew Jesus was risen because Peter's not going to say, crucify me upside down. If he knows that Jesus is really dead, all of the apostles except for one died a martyr's death. They were speared, they were stoned, they were beheaded. All of them, except for one, John, who died of old age in isolation by himself because he couldn't keep his mouth shut about Jesus. I mean, we're not alone. We don't have to walk through hard times alone. We don't have to walk through suffering alone. It's coming. But we don't walk the road by ourselves. We walk the road with each other. We walk the road with Jesus. Did Jesus' words here make you uncomfortable? Did they make you rejoice? Did they make you scared, sad? me, it's all of the above. Because let's be honest, nobody wants to go through persecution. Nobody wants to have to deal with those things. But I really believe reading Scripture here, a life following Jesus isn't supposed to be what we made it out to be. We cannot be scared to stand for the things God has called us to stand for. And while I'm thinking about it, nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you share this, you love Jesus. That's a fixable thing. Because i guarantee you, I'm never going to share those things. But I love Jesus. Because you know it'll always let me explain. It'll say, if you love Jesus, share. If you love the devil, you struggle. <laughs> a post that may or may not be theologically correct, has no bearing on whether or not I'm loving Jesus. That's not persecution. Maybe this morning maybe you've been consumed lately with the fear of the persecution. There's a lot of people who have. Now's the time to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to trust in those that you've entrusted you've to walk me with, to be with. Maybe this morning, you're being persecuted and nobody knows about it, Because that could be happening. There could be somebody who was just hammering you all the time walk through it alone. Find somebody. Confide in them. Well, I'll pray with you. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to start missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you have some other need that I haven't mentioned. Now's the time. Or well, this morning maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe you've always been going, well, I just don't know. I don't know what difference it makes. It makes all the difference in the world. It makes a difference between eternity and hell or heaven. Now's the time. Whatever you need, give it to Him. Pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you we praise you for your blessings.